Welcome to Commons and Chronicles, the podcast where we talk about all the best creative commons and reusable open game license content. If you need resources for your creative writing, game design, or you just love lore, Commons and Chronicles is for you. You are listening to Commons and Chronicles. My name is Klaatu, and in this little mini-series of the show, we're going to be talking about dragons. Of course, I began that in the previous episode, talked a little bit about what dragons mean within the context of dungeons and dragons. And I think that's always an interesting discussion. It's one of those things where it's an awkward question to ask people as, as a conversation starter, but I very frequently try to kind of get a person's experience with dragons or their background with dragons whenever we're talking about D&D. Because I find that to be an, an interesting study just to find out how much someone knew about dragons before Dungeons and Dragons and how much they knew after Dungeons and Dragons. How did they feel about dragons before and after? How did they classify dragons before and after? It's always a, a fascinating study to me, and, and it's it's kind of funny because the the perennial problem, quote unquote problem, of D and D is that while certainly early D and D had plenty of dungeons, later D and D didn't have or or either D&D, didn't really have all that much by way of dragon, because the the dragons were very powerful, kind of scary. It was difficult to work a dragon in and have that dragon be appropriately fearsome without killing the entire party. And so you'd have to kind of lead up to a dragon. Someday you'll meet a dragon, but but when? And very frequently it ended up being never, because uh, people kept dying uh, during these adventures, and so they never really got around to the part where they actually get to meet a dragon. Now, I typically try to solve this in in short games. I try to... I try to have... Uh, not always, but sometimes I will try to have a an encounter near a dragon or around a dragon. Not against the dragon, but in the right neighborhood, such that you know that there is a dragon around, or maybe you're fighting in a in the lair of a dragon, and that dragon could feasibly return at any moment, and so you kind of have to uh, to hurry along. So that's something that I've I've tried myself on on occasion. Certainly in some of the Dragonlance stories, or or rather the adventures, and in that in in Kryn, the the world of Dragonlance, which is not open creative content at all. But there are certain artifacts and things like that 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 sort of give the players leverage against dragons, which I think is. While the specific artifact itself is not, as far as I know, open game content, 
I, I believe it's a, a copyright idea of the uh, of Dragonlance uh, novels and such. But the idea that maybe some kind of artifact can give the player just enough of a, a leg up over a dragon that they can actually at least in some way deal with a dragon whether they're fighting the dragon or, or whether they're simply given protection from the dragon by this artifact or some kind of influence over the dragon because of this artifact whatever it might be that's a that's a, a helpful way to kind of integrate dragons into an adventure without without nerfing them so much that well it's basically not a dragon anymore because it's it's not really that dangerous to you but the players still get to be around dragons. So there's there's two ideas. Uh, in this episode, though, we're going to talk about the the blue dragons. And you'll recall from the previous episode that dragons that are chromatic, as in chroma, as in color, are generally the evil dragons. While the metallic dragons are generally the good dragons. So blue is obviously chromatic, and indeed it is a lawful evil dragon. Just kind of looking through the monster manual for 5th edition here. And I'll compare that with the Pathfinder uh, bestiary. But it looks like a young blue dragon is a large dragon. An adult is huge. An ancient, you're looking at gargantuan. So that's a, a pretty formidable, formidable foe, as a dragon needs to be. Blue dragons are known for being territorial, for being vain. They prey on caravans, traveling through the desert, plundering herds and settlements in verdant lands beyond the desert. They can be found in dry steppes, searing badlands, and rocky coasts. They, they are very territorial. They tend to clash with the brass dragons frequently, just because they both kind of vie for the same territory frequently. And I would say that, that while the 5th the edition manual does list specifically dry steppes, searing badlands, and rocky coasts, um, you know, my, my sort of, my, my, the, the thing that I know blue dragons as myself, I, 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 I very much associate them with Al-Kadim, with the desert setting. That's just kind of, that, that, that was always the impression that I got. And when I think of desert, I think of sand, dunes for miles, that, that kind of desert. I really, I like that sort of semi, you know, vaguely Arabian-style desert, not so much the western, west, western part of America desert. I, I like the, I like the true, the, the true desert. And, and certainly, as I say, the Alcadim setting for Dungeons and Dragons kind of, kind of encourages that. That's that's always the the desert that I've seen in that setting. And the, the blue dragon, a lot of people associate genies with the color blue, so blue dragon, desert, it all kind of 
it fits into a sort of a cliche uh, story if if you let it. Blue Dragon's attack, their their breath attack is lightning. That, that rather than breathing fire, they they can produce lightning on command. As such, they they cook their food. You'll, you'll recall that the you'll recall that the white dragon freezes its food and and sort of likes its food uh, popsicle style, whereas blue dragons actually cook their food with lightning. They sear it with with electricity, and and then gobble it up. So very very specifically, they do like to cook their food. I don't know that that means they wouldn't eat you uncooked, but but if if they have their preference, certainly they'll they'll cook the food before they eat it. They they bury their the gems and treasures that they hoard deep in this in the sand, much like the white dragons bury their food in the snow. The blue dragons bury their treasures into into sand. So no, no. I mean, not necessarily any caves for a blue dragon. I mean, I'm sure they they have to have some kind of cave or some kind of place that they that they stay, but um, I don't think you would see like an Aladdin-style cave full of riches that belong to the dragon. At least you might see it belonging to someone else, like den of of thieves or something, but but not to the dragon. They they tend to bury their their hoard in the um, in the sand. They have certain regional effects, at least in fifth edition, which I really really like. So within six miles of a blue dragon's lair, there are thunderstorms raging. There are dust devils scouring the land within again six miles of the lair. It has a speed of fifty feet. The 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 dust the dust devil and has an intelligence and charisma of one. So it's just it's it's an environmental effect, but it could could be rough going if 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 you find that. You'll also find hidden sinkholes around the dragon's lair. And again, that's that's largely as I understand it because they're digging under the sand to hide their hoard of stuff. So the regional effects it's it's kind of almost I mean it's a it's not a power of the dragon, but it is an influence of the dragon's presence. And if the dragon dies, then the thunderstorms abate in 1d10 days, the dust devils disappear immediately, uh, sinkholes are still sinkholes. That said, blue dragons are known to... well, they sort of have two tactics in, in battle. Uh, one is... Uh, well, aside from... so one one is to attack from, from range, which they can do. They have electricity. They're able to kind of attack from from afar without any problems uh, another the the two that i was really thinking of was um they either well they fly which is i guess pretty typical of dragons but the blue dragon specifically burrows frequently under the sand kind of sits there and waits until or lies in wait until the until the enemies are about 100 feet away and then he'll he or she will rise up from the sand and attack so that's, I mean, that's a great, great technique, obviously, for a set piece in a, in in an adventure to have a, a blue dragon pop up from from a sand dune. That would make an impression. 
how big are dragons, blue dragons? Uh, like I said, the adult is large, I think. No, young is large, adult is huge, and ancient is gargantuan. Let's just take the, the, the sort of the medium between those two, the huge, or those three is huge. So uh, overall length is 55 feet, body length would be 20, neck length is 14, tail is 21, body width is 8 feet, standing height is 12 feet, maximum wingspan 60 feet, minimum is 30 feet, 20,000 pounds. So not too, not too bad. Definitely formidable. The blue dragon eggs are considered small in size, which um, I'm going to have to look up what that actually means here in the egg section in the Draconomicon. So the um, they're small in size, so that's length 2 feet, 8 pounds, hardness of 10 to 15, uh, and break. DC is 13 for that, and that's blue dragon. They are ready to lay the egg in 150 days. The total incubation takes 600 days, and there are rules in the Draconomicon. If you're um, again, this is a 3.5 book, so you'd you'd be playing Pathfinder. If you're doing that and really getting deep into to, to dragons there are rules for even how you know how the eggs are incu incubated and how long they have to be kept at a certain temperature for instance blue for half of each day the egg must be kept in a temperature of 90 fahrenheit to 120 fahrenheit followed by a half day at 40 to 60 uh, fahrenheit so it's a rather complex process actually compared to say the the white egg the egg must be buried in snow, encased in ice, or kept at a temperature below zero Fahrenheit. That's all they have to do. The white, the white dragons have it. Yeah, pretty, pretty simple actually. Sort of the silvers, but we're not, we're not on me metallic dragons yet, so we'll skip over that. Okay, so the blue dragons. You've heard about how th their size. You've heard about how they, how they have their wormlings. And you've heard a little bit about their fighting tactics. You've heard about their enemy, which is the brass dragons. The brass dragons, they, like I say, I think they're competing for, for territory, on a regular basis. But the, the the brass dragon or the the blue dragons rather have, kind of a personal beef with the brass dragons. They they do not like the brass dragons specifically because of what the brass dragons represent. So it's it's not. It's not just about two fierce animals vying for the same for the same resources. This is this is personal, and they the the blue dragons despise the brass dragons because of well their alignment. They're on the wrong side of the 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 battle in in the blue dragons' opinion. Uh, but they also despise the brass dragons for their strategy in in combat, which typically is to get away from the combat, fleeing the combat. Um, I mean, not not exclusively, but they they aren't afraid to sort of to to hedge their bets or to to get get farther away from the combat. And blue dragons, although they do attack from a distance, they 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 dislike that. They think that's cowardly.
Another cool thing about blue dragons is that they they have been known to attract air elementals in their service. And that's obviously very cool, because then you can have random air elementals as needed. But it's also just kind of neat, because there's a certain kind of sym- uh, yeah, symmetry, or, or I guess synergy, to to blue dragons, because of that, the electricity, the dry, the, the, the heat, the desert heat, the, and the air, it's just, you know, that, that sort of, that, that idea of these, these elements coming together for electricity, and then attracting the air elementals, it's, it all kind of fits together nicely somehow, for me at least, I don't know if, if that's backed up at all by, by physics, but it just, it all kind of, it works for me. In Pathfinder, the blue dragons are uh, basically the same. I mean, there's not a whole lot written about them in the in the bestiary, to be honest. But it, it there's there there are a lot of dragons in the bestiary, to be fair. So that's that's one reason. But they they can do that. Well, first of all, they're they're again also lawful evil. The the young uh, blue dragon is indeed large. The ancient is indeed gargantuan. So same, same basic stats as as, or, or the same idea as fifth edition, which isn't surprising because uh, dragons, I feel, are, are fairly consistent beasts across editions. But they they do get some extra abilities that that fifth edition does not does not express. That said, in the in the bestiary, there's no mention of any kind of... There's no sense of environmental effects that a dragon might have. At least that I could find. Um, so, they do have things like Mirage. An old or older blue dragon can make itself appear to be in two places at once as a free action for a number of rounds per day equal to its its hit die. I thought that was a, that was a pretty frightening one because... Then you've got two blue dragons, as far as you know, until you, until you discover that it's not real. But that that could be rather terrifying. And then there's there there are, although there aren't environmental effects, there there are other things that I guess are kind of like it. Electricity aura. An adult blue dragon is surrounded by an aura of electricity. Creatures within five feet take one d6 points of electricity damage at the beginning of the dragon's turn. So that's that's a fun one. Just to attack the thing, you have to take damage potentially. And across editions, the the blue dragons have have the ability and and the tendency to to be deceptive when hunting prey. Uh, Pathfinder expresses it as an ability, sound imitation. A very young or older blue dragon can mimic any voice or sound it has heard by making a successful bluff check against a listener's sense mode of check. So that's that's very mechanical. Fifth edition simply states that it that the the blue dragons have a tendency to use ventriloquism and illusion when when stalking their prey. Oh actually sorry, no, that wasn't fifth edition that said that. That was the Draconomicon, which is also three point five. So I don't know if fifth edition allows for that sort of uh, deceptive tactic for the blue dragons but uh i don't see why you couldn't roll that into the blue dragons if it doesn't say that specifically in fifth edition 
either way, I think you get kind of a feel for for blue dragons. They're they're high on the intelligence spectrum. They really are. Uh, I mean, a, an ancient blue dragon is a plus four intelligence, so that's a score of eighteen. The adult is sixteen, a plus of three. So they're 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 clever beasts. Vain and deadly, buries itself in the sand. When prey draws near, it rises up and attacks. Yeah, fifth edition does not seem to say anything about the that sort of deceptive angle that they have. I mean, other than lying in wait, that's pretty deceptive, I guess. But n- nothing about mimicry or ventriloquism, as 3.5 does specify. But again, yeah, I don't see why that couldn't be a motive for a blue dragon in fifth as well. There's just nothing. There's nothing specifically calling it out or enabling it. And in fact, the abilities are arguably not optimized for that. For instance, the adult blue dragon, just using that as a good sort of middle of the road example, has skills perception plus twelve, stealth plus five. Nothing about any kind of, I mean, stealth, I guess, is one thing, but nothing about deception or anything like that. So I can imagine customizing the the stats of a dragon if that was going to be a, an important part of that dragon's tactics. I could see putting some some points into their deception skill and maybe, I don't know, maybe their performance skill, possibly, and then base the character's ability to to detect that on their either their passive wisdom or maybe their their insight possibly something like that 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 would probably work for me again i'd only go to the trouble if that was going to be part of the story if if they weren't going to do any deception then then i wouldn't bother in other words i have no complaints about the fifth edition blue dragon i'm just pointing out that if you want to make them excel at something that they're not spec'd out for in 5th edition, you should add that thing, possibly. I think I'll mention one more thing just to kind of emphasize a, a point about blue dragons, and that is, I'll, I'll talk about how Dragonlance treats blue dragons. Now, Dragonlance sometimes can stray pretty far from from established D&D. Um, I, I mean, I'm speaking really exclusively here of 2nd edition Dragonlance. I, I never, I didn't ever experienced Dragonlance really in 3.5, but or 3rd th- edition and then 3.5, but 2nd uh, edition, certainly at, at one point in the, in Kryn's history, at the beginning there, it had separate rules for clerics, because there there was essentially no deity-based magic. So, and it certainly had different a different variety of wizard, of wizardry. So there were, there were some major differences between Dragonlance and then a, you know just stock AD&D from what I understood. Again, I don't exactly know because I've all I ever played was dra- was Dragonlance for second edition. Um, that you know I mean historically, um, so I, I don't exactly know sort of the the finer details. And anyway, it doesn't matter because in this regard, in the dragon realm. Interestingly, Dragonlance doesn't actually stray that far from from D and D, or or maybe it's reverse. Maybe D and D doesn't stray far from Dragonlance. Either way, there's a lot of consistency here. So the blue dragons in Dragonlance you're going to find are exactly 
I mean, they have all the same traits. They they prefer the desert if they have a choice. They hate brass dragons, and and have a, a sort of a feud with with brass dragons. I mean, there's a famous feud between some some a famous blue and a brass dragon. So there's that. Won't get into it for spoiler purposes. But there's a lot of it's just sort of the same general idea, and in the alignment structure, I think that Dragonlance really manages, and again, maybe this is just because there are there is so much Dragonlance lore out there, which is not open in creative, uh, creative Commons by any means, but they do establish and emphasize in that lore, I feel, that the Blue Dragons are very regimented and loyal. They are fiercely loyal. I mean, they... They respect the Dark Queen, the, the Queen of Darkness. They they fight for her. They fought for her. They will continue to do that. You know, what whatever happens, they they remain loyal to their cause, and they respect authority and and sort of structure. And and they are social creatures as well. I mean, they'll they'll hang out together. Not all dragons will do that, but the blue dragons have been known to to sort of form little communities, maybe caring for each other's hatchlings and so on. And certainly, I mean, white dragons I don't think would do that. I, I've never seen anything to indicate that a white dragon would hang out with another white dragon. In fact, their own young, it, it seems that, you know, once the once the wormling grows up a little bit, they're pretty much told to get out there and make a life for themselves. They don't, they're not super social. Blue dragons, not so much. They're They're social, regimented, and loyal. And that's something that I, I feel Dragonlance manages to emphasize in ways that I, I don't know other things do, simply because, again, Dragonlance spends a lot of times with dragons, as you might expect from the title of the series. So that's everything I have on Blue Dragons. It's all just D&D classification, not necessarily part of the mechanics. It's not necessarily part of the lore. It's just the way that we think and talk about dragons. Hopefully it was interesting. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Klaatu. You can reach me uh, via email at klaatu at member.fsf.org. You can also usually catch me in IRC as not Klaatu. I'm on the Freenode Network. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.